Hello, and welcome to episode four of Splash of Cinema. I'm Pete. And I'm John. We're going to be covering The Mandalorian in this episode and all things Star Wars. Yep. Uh, also wanted to give a big shout out to Elijah Comas for that opening music intro. Uh, we've wanted to get that air podcast for a minute now. So thank you for that, Elijah. I hope you guys like it as well. Uh, so like John said, we're going to hop into Star Wars, everything Star Wars. With the conclusion of The Mandalorian this past Friday, uh, I think it's really marked a great season of what Disney Plus can do as well as the Star Wars franchise moving forward as a rebound of their latest trilogy, which I was not too fond of, but we can get into that as the episode goes on. Uh, so let's just hop into it. Uh, let's hop into news. So at the annual investors meeting for uh, Disney, who now owns Star Wars, they announced a, bu- a bunch of different properties that are going to hit Disney+, Plus, uh, mostly series, as well as some movies coming up. Uh, the movies... Uh, there's going to be a Taika Waititi movie, directed movie coming up probably about five years down the line, but that's that's really exciting for Star Wars fans. But in terms of series, uh, there's going to be The Bad Batch, uh, which focuses on clones after the Clone Wars era uh, that are kind of just on their own, doing their own stuff. That's going to be animated in the style of Clone Wars, so that'll be exciting. Uh, there's going to be Andor, which focuses on Cassian Andor, the male character from Rogue One who dies at the end. It's going to focus on him and his build-up to the events of Rogue One. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is another one that's hitting. Uh, it was just announced that Hayden Christensen will reprise his role in that as Darth Vader, hopefully providing some better acting than he did in the trilogy. <laughs> that's definitely true. <laughs> hopefully. That show is going to take place 10 years after the events of Revenge of the Sith. Uh, these are in no particular order as well. This is just what they announced. Uh, a droid story is also going to come. That's a lot of fan service there. It's an animated series focusing on R2 and C-3PO. Uh, not much there. Uh, something that I'm really excited for, it's still in the works. There hasn't been much announced for it. It's called The Acolyte. And this takes place 200 years before the events of any of the movies so it just focuses on like the birth of a jedi and kind of their rise and the rise of the republic at the time uh the next one this relates to mandalorian uh it's rangers of the new republic uh, it's going to focus on sort of these rebel characters mainly focusing on cara dune as well as other side characters like her it's going to focus on their stories and just what they're doing to get back at the empire uh next up ahsoka this is another big one that was announced uh because of ahsoka's involvement with season two of the mandalorian they made a spinoff series again it makes more money it's gonna make more money it's a jedi that we haven't seen in live action before we have seen ahsoka in the clone wars as well as rebels but we've not seen her in live action to a great capacity we only saw one episode of the mandalorian this year so that's going to focus on Ahsoka and also her kind of path to get to Grand Admiral Thrawn. That's another big character that was left hanging by fans in the first season. She mentioned it very briefly in The Mandalorian Episode 5. Another series that's going to come up is called Visions. And as I know of it now, it's just Star Wars stories from the 
creative lens of Japanese anime artists and creators. So that'll be cool. Uh, definitely some really cool graphics and sort of, I'm excited for like lightsaber fights and that. Uh, but the biggest one that was coined at the end of the Mandalorian, it was post credit scene. It's the book of Boba Fett. So if you haven't seen Mandalorian season two, there is a big character and it is Boba Fett. Uh, there were rumors of him working his way into season two and eventually it happened. So they're making a spinoff series with Boba Fett and it's going to focus on him coming back to Tatooine and kind of taking over and kind of becoming like this crime Lord, uh, kind of like a job of the hut character. And we could talk about the Easter egg scene later. Cause I thought it was so funny. It did some fan service there for one of the slimiest characters in star Wars history. So we can get into that later, but in terms of what star Wars is doing, they're pumping out a lot. I know as a star Wars fan, I'm, super pumped how about yourself john yeah i'm i'm really excited to just start to get some content because i realize that overall the body of work that disney's put out so far which includes the uh last trilogy of movies um i would say overall is is a really mixed bag like i personally did not like the last trilogy at all um it started in an okay direction but then it kind of went downhill and really disappointed a lot of us like deep Star Wars fans, but The Mandalorian is a really good step and showcases what Disney can do with their budget and just the number of like acclaimed directors and writers and, and even actors that they can get to help with their projects. Um, but I think we need to remember that Disney bought Lucasfilm for over $4 billion. Like That's a lot of money. They, they intended to put out a ton of projects relating to Star Wars, but I think they didn't have a good grasp on what those projects can be until they put out the Mandalorian as a show. And it's been incredibly successful and I think it's super well done. So I am excited. Another thing that you didn't mention, Pete, I'm excited about is uh, even though I did not like the last Jedi, which Ryan Johnson directed, he, I think he's not a bad director when he can be given something new to work with. And he's working on a star Wars trilogy of movies that will be set with new characters in a new time and a new place within the Star Wars franchise, but but completely unrelated to anything that's been put out so far in the canon. Um, and I think he can do exciting things with that. Um, and there's also a slate of other rumored movies to be coming out. But Taika Waititi, he, you know, he's also a great director, directed uh, Jojo Rabbit and Thor Ragnarok, which is one of the best Marvel movies. And he will be, I'm sure, putting out a good Star Wars movie following. He's working on another Thor movie right now, but once he's done with that, I think that's when he's going to work on the this next Star Wars project, which, Pete, we don't know anything about, do we? No, not not at the moment, uh, just that he's going to be involved in it. I mean, he directed an episode in season one that I thought was one of the best directed episodes. I believe it was chapter eight, uh, the last one. He also voiced the IG unit, didn't he? Yeah, yep, he voiced IG-11 as well, uh, so clearly he knows how to direct Star Wars, it's just gonna be cool once we see it in feature film format, not just within a 50-minute allotted time, uh, so he can have his the chance to explore and, you know, really implement that comedy element that he does very well to his movies, uh, like you were saying, Thor Ragnarok, that was funny, uh, given how like the seriousness of Thor 1 and 2, 
uh, just mixing in some humor there, I thought was great. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we can really see uh, Disney and Favreau mainly being this sort of new George Lucas figure. I don't want to compare him to George Lucas because you know George Lucas did create everything, but Favreau keeps creating these new characters uh, in the Mandalorian, and I think we we can see sort of a parallel there between Lucas and Favreau in that. They're, they're just so passionate about it. Uh, Favreau even has Dave Filoni, who lives, breathes, eats Star Wars. Uh, so I'm excited because they're definitely going to be consultants on all these new projects. They have to be just with the success of The Mandalorian, just to keep it truthful and keep Star Wars going in this positive direction uh, since the trilogy. Favreau is getting the credit and deserves the credit for revitalizing the Star Wars franchise. Um because he he coined he basically took the Mandalorian and he made it his own thing while while actually striking a really perfect balance of entertaining people and keeping a lot of the old Star Wars lore and and keeping uh, the fans satisfied the true Star Wars fans which the tr- which is what the trilogy failed to do it was entertaining but it did kind of keep us fans like, it made us a little mad you know what I mean. Um, and he, I like that he has his hand in all these projects because it's good to keep a sort of a consistency between everything. One of the failings of Disney thus far with the franchise is it's it's used a bunch of different directors and different writers and producers. So the movies all kind of seem disjointed and and almost nothing alike, you know what I mean? But Favreau, for example, he's going to be executive producing The Book of Boba Fett, which is exciting. Uh, as a Mandalorian spinoff series, and I'm sure he even has his hand in probably the movie with Taika Waititi and all these other projects. And John Favreau, you know, he's had a lot of success. He was part of the beginning of the Marvel movies, even with Iron Man, which is one of their most successful movies. Um, and I thought maybe he was taking a little bit of a turn for the worse with the Disney live action films, but the Mandalorian has reinstilled my faith in John Favreau, and I'm a big fan now for sure. Yeah, and also uh, technologically on The Mandalorian, they've just incorporated so much stuff. I don't know if you've seen the behind the scenes things with the, uh, it's kind of like the the dome where it's just all LED screens and they're creating this virtual environment. Uh, and it looks it looks so much better than CGI. I mean, it's, it's incredible what they've done. Uh, obviously, they do have to implement some CGI to the show uh, with the ships and such, but just creating those virtual landscapes is really cool uh, through VR. And they also did, he also did that on the Lion King. That was one that you failed to mention. Uh, he, he directed the Lion King and the Jungle Book. He's doing everything at this point, John Favreau. At, and he's still acting in Marvel movies as well. So we'll see where he goes. Uh, he's kind of becoming a triple threat, though writer, uh, creator, director, actor. He's jack of all trades at this point. Yes. I completely agree with you. And on the flip side of that, Disney's doing a lot of exciting things with Marvel too, keeping their projects on Disney Plus, which is another reason why I think the service is actually beneficial to have right now. And John Favreau, I believe, as well as Taika Waititi, is still planning to work with Marvel in some aspects. Yeah, I, I mean, why wouldn't he? Uh, Marvel is pumping out all this stuff. I know a trailer for Loki came out. Saw some Owen Wilson love right there as uh, 
I, I believe the character's name is Morbius or Mobius or something, but crazy to see Owen Wilson in the MCU. Uh, he's one of my favorite actors just to see on screen. You know, wow, wow. Like, I just want him to say wow at some point in that show, but we'll see. Uh, as well as WandaVision, that's premiering soon. I mean, so much more Marvel properties than there are Star Wars properties coming up. Uh, and I think Disney Plus is the perfect platform to do it. The only reason I had Disney Plus up until this point was to watch The Mandalorian. Uh, so we'll see coming up. Uh, it'll make it'll give me my money's worth uh, with all these stuff, all this stuff coming out. I, I'm for sure going to watch all of it. Yes, I'm totally with you, Pete. Um, so far, I've done a pretty good job keeping up with the Star Wars uh, canon, and I doubt that Disney would ever be able to come up with enough uh, projects that I couldn't watch enough projects that would be too much time for me to watch. Do you know what I mean, Pete? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, even something as like that droid story that I mentioned that seems pretty bland on its surface is just a story of R2-D2 and C-3PO. I mean, that's just so much fan service there, but you know, I'm still going to watch it. Like if it's on, if it's a Star Wars thing and it's on Disney Plus and I don't have to pay additional money for it. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Like it's going to, I'll probably enjoy it as well. So this is very exciting for our podcast as well, I think, because we can also talk about all this stuff with the with the one year off between now and the next season of The Mandalorian, which I think is slated for late 2021. I'm sure there will be other Star Wars projects in between now and then that will give us some more content for this podcast. I also wanted to mention uh, the book of Boba Fett. It was announced that that's entirely separate from The Mandalorian season three. So we're going to be getting even more Mandalorian stories. We're going to be able to see some of that cool armor that Boba Fett has, maybe some more seismic charge action. I'm excited. Now, do you think uh, Ludwig's going to do the music for that one too, Pete? I mean, he really handled uh, tattoo the music on Tatooine really well, I thought, and the vibe that Tatooine gave off uh, in his music. So I could definitely see it. I want him to. I want him to be the composer for all Star Wars stuff. Uh, just because he did so well in The Mandalorian. I mean, I would understand if he didn't, because, you know, Ludwig's an artist, and he's like, he might be the the most exciting composer in the film industry today, just because of how young he is and the stuff that he's already accomplished. And, you know, with these famous composers, I'm sure he's hoping to have a storied career, which could be limited by only focusing on Disney Star Wars projects, which probably can't earn him some of the accolades he might be looking for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is, I feel like he is still going to be in the feature film realm. But yeah, I mean, that was just, that was just me geeking out over him there earlier. uh, Like just wanting him to do all the Star Wars stuff. Obviously, he's not going to do all the Star Wars stuff. But hopefully I do, I want him to stay on The Mandalorian. Uh, If there is one thing, Star Wars thing that he has the time for and he wants to do, I want it to be The Mandalorian. Uh, the score in season two is maybe even better than season one. We will get into that later in the episode, though. So that's all the Star Wars news we had for you today, a little discussion there. Uh, So this is going to be focusing on season two of The Mandalorian. And first, we're going to get into a spoiler review. If you would like a non-spoiler review for season two of The Mandalorian, please see the description of the episode to fast forward to that time. Yes, um, 
we did want to do one spoiler review and one non-spoiler review because we can do pretty good reviews both ways. But at this point, for all the people that are listening to the spoiler review, good for you because if you haven't seen it yet, you're definitely behind the curve. Um, a lot of really exciting stuff happened with season two that made the fans happy, which was kind of unlike season one, which established the Mandalorian as a character and Baby Yoda and all that, while while creating kind of a separate lore for Star Wars fans to follow. But this one reintegrated right back in with the franchise and showed us why the Mandalorian might be important to the canon of Star Wars as a whole. And I really like that, um, especially with this last episode, bringing back Luke. That was awesome. I love Luke. Yeah, so that's the biggest spoiler of season two, uh, Luke, at the end. I mean, once that X-Wing pulled up, uh, they were they were done for. The Dark Troopers were coming in. But once I saw that X-Wing, I was like, oh, shit. So that was clue one. Then I saw the green lightsaber. I was like, oh, shit. Like, no, they would not do this. But they did. Uh, and then clue three is the glove, the glove that Luke wears. Uh, he was just mauling down those dark troopers. Uh, and I did not think they would do Luke. I thought they would implement a new Jedi. Uh, but then once... He took off his hood after he's mauled all the dark troopers. Uh, you see, it's a poorly done CGI Luke. Uh, you know, though, Pete... It was better than stuff that we've seen, I think. Uh, but in terms of Star Wars, like, even what they did with, uh, what's his name, Tarkin, Admiral Tarkin, uh, and even Leia in Rogue One, I, I thought those were better than Luke's. Uh, yeah, at times the mouth wouldn't line up, but... Yeah, the mouth didn't line up with words. That's like the one negative I had about the whole episode. I fucking loved it. Yeah, I thought they were going to bring on that young actor that kind of looks like a young Mark Hamill. Um, the fans had been pushing for that, but the CGI, I guess they just felt more comfortable with that, and they probably honestly didn't want to pay another actor. Um, and, you know, the the surprise of Luke makes up for the fact that it was maybe not the best done CGI. Um, but honestly, when you were talking about which Jedi you thought it was, Pete, I thought Ahsoka at first glance. Yeah, that was something that crossed my mind. But the glove, the glove got me though. That yeah, yeah. Once, once I saw that Jedi mulling down all those people, I thought, wait, Ahsoka did not do this in the episode. Like she wasn't this skilled. Uh, sure, Ahsoka is super skilled, but to that degree, because this takes place after. Return of the Jedi. So at this point, Luke is a seasoned Jedi. He's been through some serious stuff. And I mean, the way he was mauling down those dark troopers when it took Mando minutes. That dark trooper that Mando took down, that was his hardest enemy all season. Of course, yeah. Besides the Jawas. They actually beat him. Yeah, besides the Jawas. Uh, but yeah, seeing that Jedi maul them down, I thought there's only one person that this could be. And, and I mean, it is cool to see Luke do all this boss shit with the lightsaber and the force in this sequence just because in the old movies they didn't have the technology obviously to show sort of like a modern lightsaber battle and like modern jedi usage uh to this degree that we saw in the mandalorian yeah and and i think when luke came and and took baby yoda from um the mandalorian in a very touching moment um he removed his helmet they looked at each other for the first time. I, 
I really appreciated that moment. And that was kind of a good send off for Baby Yoda. It got me really thinking, though, about the timeline of where the Mandalorian is set and what's ahead of it. Because at this point, Star Wars has come out with the new trilogy and the Mandalorian, which ends, which starts five years after the return of the Jedi ends. So Luke is still very much active. He hasn't become like this hermit yet. Um, he's still young. He's still committed to the Jedi. And it, and I know at, at the um, beginning of the new trilogy, it's established that Kylo Ren killed most of Luke's students or all of Luke's students, which now baby Yoda is Luke's student. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, if Grogu dies, though, if, if, if it's found out that Grogu dies, the world's just going to blow up. Like, no one's going to want that. Hopefully they can avoid that, because uh, that'll make a lot of people sad, including myself. But, yeah, uh, that is something that they need to come back to, really, like the future of Grogu. I don't, I don't feel like they should just end it right there, uh, just because Grogu was such a huge part in The Mandalorian, and now he's leaving. So, you know, I feel like Disney and Star Wars, like, has to revisit that uh the future of grogu and see where that's going and i think they definitely will like that would just be lame to stay away from it because grogu at this point is he's gotten more screen time than almost any other character in the star wars franchise if you think about the screen time that the mandalorian had for example he may have the most screen time of any character in star wars um because the show although it's only been two seasons is much longer than a movie when you add up all the time the episodes are together. Um, so these are now very important characters in the franchise. And I do think that would, it would be important to continue following both of them, the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda, Grogu, as we'll call him. But he's, he's, only, right, he's only 50. He's still a child um, in his species age line. And by the time the trilogy would come out, he'd probably be like, what, 80? Yeah, I'd say about 80. I don't know how much training can they really do in Fiend Now and Then. Like, he can't really talk yet, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's definitely going to have to be revisited after this trilogy that just came out a few years ago uh, with Rey and Finn and stuff. I think Baby Yoda's powers will be fully evolved by then uh, with Luke's training. I mean, who who even knows if Grogu was still alive at the time of The Force Awakens and those movies, but... And this is all speculation, but... But it is very exciting. Um, and as Pete and I have said over and over, we're excited to see what happens in the future of Star Wars. Um, and this season definitely sparked that excitement a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I also want to... Another big spoiler, uh, Boba Fett is in this season. Uh, there was big speculation prior to the season starting about Boba Fett. And we finally saw the reveal at the end of episode one of Tamora Morrison, who played Jango Fett in the prequel trilogy, coming back to reprise his role as his son, Boba Fett, uh, since he is a clone, obviously. And seeing Boba Fett, I know that made a shit ton of Star Wars fans happy, uh, just because he was this character in the original trilogy that just, you know, he dies. It's just, it's so quick how he dies. He just falls into the Sarlacc pit and there's nothing left of him. Uh, obviously, there is some stuff in Star Wars Legends that he escaped the Sarlacc pit. And seeing now, clearly he did. Uh, 
so he visits he's been tracking mando he gets his armor back and he just becomes as much of a boss as mando i mean uh even like i mentioned earlier the seismic charge thing when the tie fighters are coming up he drops it we saw that in attack of attack of the clones uh the second episode of the star wars series uh so yeah, I mean, Boba Fett being in this was super cool. It provided an additional Mandalorian character uh, that we have seen from the past, bringing him back. I thought it was really smart on Star Wars hands, and it was successful enough to get a spinoff show, which is exciting. Yeah, and you know, Boba Fett's just a famous character in Star Wars lore. Um, he has the unique, the unique aspect to him that not only was he a part of the original trilogy as um, an antagonist and just kind of this renegade that everyone liked, but he was also in the prequel series, um, which were the, the two projects that Lucas did. So he's, he's a Lucas creation. And of course you wouldn't expect Boba Fett to die in the Sar- Sarlacc pit. I, I hope that we get to see maybe how he kills the Sarlacc and escapes. Um, but I, I did kind of see him maybe coming back in the Mandalorian. I mean, related to him, it's the, it's the armor that he wears. He wears Mandalorian armor. Um, and yeah, Boba Fett definitely looks a little worse for the wear, but he's still a badass, and it, and it really felt good to root for him in Season 2 because not only is he in the show, but he aids the Mandalorian on his quest to return Baby Yoda to the Jedi. Um, and he is one of the best fighters in the franchise and does some great things in in this season some there's some awesome action sequences and boba fett just um yeah of course he deserves a spin-off series and and maybe i'm even a little bit more excited for that than any other star wars project coming up yeah the thing that i wanted to mention prior uh i mentioned it earlier but uh how he kills bib fortuna in the post credit scene bib fortuna the slimiest star wars character of all time just visually scary in Return of the Jedi. Seeing him next to Jabba, uh, just seeing him being killed was so satisfying because he is so slimy and gross and no one likes Bib Fortuna. So that made me super happy when Jag- when Boba just casually killed him. And Bib-, Bib gained a lot of weight, you know what I mean? He was starting to look like Jabba a little bit. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's a little jealous of what Jabba had. He wants some of that. Uh, but Obviously, no one's going to listen to Bib Fortuna. He's a fraud. And that was an exciting post credit scene. Normally, how The Mandalorian ends each episode, which I love, is that they use the concept art from the episode in the post credit scene. So that's what you keep watching for. But in this case, there wasn't concept art. There was a post credit scene, and it was the only post credit scene so far in The Mandalorian. Yeah, uh, I, I noticed that. I, I thought, wait, no no concept art and then i looked at how much time was left and i was like oh there's got to be a post credit scene something here i didn't know what it was relating to but uh i'm glad it was related to boba fett in the spinoff series so yes now now he will be a crime lord i guess he's taken over the hut throne which he so ceremoniously did by pushing uh bib fortuna's dead body off of it um, and then just sitting on it, and, and that's how the episode ends, and I think that's so fitting. I don't mind waiting a year after that. I can just think about what's all the possibilities that can happen. With that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I wanted to bring up the last sort of uh, thing to look forward to, spoiler-related. 
the introduction of Bo-Katan and the, the whole Darksaber story around that. Uh, so at the end of the episode, obviously, Mando has the Darksaber. He beat Moff Gideon with it in combat, which was... That was such a good fight, man. Uh, just seeing something that isn't lightsaber-based uh, just in combat was so cool. No usage of the Force. It's just weapon against weapon. Uh, I thought that was super cool. So he beats him in combat with it. He has it. Uh, Bo-Katan obviously wants it. That's the whole reason she came on this heist with Mando, just to get the Darksaber. And Moff Gideon's like, nope, nope, not so fast. She has to beat you in combat with it. And Mando's like, I just don't give a shit. Just take it. Uh, but she can't do that. It's the Darksaber Creed, I guess. Uh, I think season two is really going to relate to that. Uh, I think it's going to revolve around the Darksaber and sort of, not really the origin story of it, but just more focus on Bo-Katan trying to get it from Mando. Because, I mean, I could see Mando, now that Baby Yoda, Grogu's gone, just, you know, kind of wanting that Darksaber because it's just another weapon in his arsenal. And this is this is very exciting. The Darksaber is another awesome installment of Season 2. And, and I knew that it would be a big part of Season 2 when... At the end of one, season one, we see Moff Gideon wielding it um, when he cuts himself out of that TIE fighter. But the Darksaber has a deep history with Star Wars. It's been wielded by, it was wielded by the Death Watch in the Clone Wars. And then later it was wielded by Darth Maul. It's been wielded by Bo-Katan before, uh, I think in Rebels. And, you know, now Moff Gideon, now Mando himself. So it's it's a pretty exciting weapon. It's similar to a light. It's the most similar thing to a lightsaber in the the Star Wars canon, and it kind of is the power of Mandalore. It represents the power of Mandalore. So I could see that as well as uh, the Mandalorian and Bo-Katan maybe trying to reclaim the pan- planet of Mandalore um, with the dark saber in mind. You know what I mean? Yeah, that that would be cool uh, if we get sort of a Mandalore story. Just because a lot of this season was shrouded in, and kind of the intrigue in Mandalore was kind of sparked, you know. People, various characters saying, oh no, Mandalore's gone, but then Bo-Katan being insisted that it is still up and running. So we'll see with Mandalore, it does seem like this sort of cloudy planet on in the galaxy that I think we're going to be introduced to next season. And I mean, I'm excited for season three. Uh, at this point, I don't really care what they do as long as it's quality. Uh, if it goes to this around Bo-Katan and other Mandalorians, cool, do it. Uh, that's something in the Clone Wars, the animated series that I really liked when they did deter from the Jedi story and focused on the Mandalorians and their relationships. And seeing that in live action is going to be super cool. It the What's been exciting about the Mandalorian is seeing a lot of all these animated things now in live action um we got to see something that i loved i think it was season two episode three we saw the planet of mon Cala, which is a pretty famous star wars planet for the first time in live action um we've seen the dark saber in live action we've seen a lot of good live action fights which um the trilogy the latest trilogy did have but they weren't as appealing to the fans. They weren't as appealing to the fans. Um, and on top of that, we saw, you know, Luke again in live action. 
We saw R2-D2 in live action, which I, we didn't mention earlier, but that's part of Luke's appearance. R2-D2 is with Luke. Um, and just just seeing a lot of this this really cool Star Wars stuff in live action is appealing because I do love the animated shows, but there is something different about live action. Oh, yeah, yeah, undoubtedly. Uh, and I think we'll see even more cool shit in season three uh, of The Mandalorian. So I think it's time that we get into our non-spoiler review. Uh, so just thoughts on season two. Season two of The Mandalorian um, is a must-watch. It was better than season one. And it has a lot of really exciting stuff that appealed to Star Wars fans, myself and Pete included, like the real fans. Um, and just on top of that, it's it's just really good television. It's still in the same style as season one with the same team working on it. Um, Ludwig Göransson turns in a soundtrack that's arguably better than the soundtrack for season one, which is already a very good season soundtrack. Um, the acting's good, the writing's good, the directing's good. There are some awesome visual effects, some great action sequences. All in all, it's it's an upgrade for The Mandalorian from season one, and it puts the Star Wars franchise in a really good direction. Yeah, I, I entirely agree with pretty much all your statements there. I did like it better than season one. Uh, there were a few episodes in season one that I wasn't too fond of, uh, four and five mainly. Uh, our, this season two did have one episode that I know pretty, it's pretty wide knowledge and a lot of people feel this way that it just wasn't a good episode. But the director of that episode, I mean, rejuvenated himself with episode eight. So that was cool to see. Uh, like, like you said, just bringing in more stuff. Uh, a lot of much more cool stuff being implemented into the Mandalorian. That's a big reason why I like it. It's just like, oh, what's going to happen next? And you're just like, oh, that's so much more badass than last week. You know, I felt like this season increasingly got better and each episode was better than the last. And it culminated in a final episode that I think was some of the best 40 minutes of Star Wars I've seen in pretty recent memory. I completely agree with you, Pete. Um, and this season, it definitely escalates, and it, it picks up steam quickly after the first two episodes. Um, and there's a number of really good guest actors that come on and uh, invent some some cool characters that are definitely going to be part of the franchise going forward. But it also keeps a lot of those characters that we loved from season one as big parts of the plotline of season two. Um, the Mandalorian obviously remains the main character, and and you'll see when you watch it. But a lot of those uh, characters from season one, for example, like Grief Karga, are once again a part of season two. But as each episode goes on in season two, we meet new characters, and some of them are big characters in the history of Star Wars, and establish themselves pretty quickly and pretty uh, defiantly. Which I liked. I really liked that. Um, this this season definitely appeals to the Star Wars fans in a way that season one couldn't do because the Mandalorian was still being established at the time. Yeah, uh, I think season one that's the exposition, and season two is the action. And season two answers all the questions that you had in season one uh, regarding 
Baby Yoda and sort of the origins of Baby Yoda and what goes on. Uh, so, and season two also, I think, I think they get, did a good job of not getting too close to the canon that we see on movies and that storyline and kind of, you know, teetering it on a little dotted line there and being like, hey, let's not, let's not be too ambitious here, but let's, let's stay back and let's establish this character of Mando and make the story revolve around him which it does, and they did it so effectively in this season. Couldn't be happier, honestly. Uh, I know I've watched every episode every Friday, haven't missed a week, watched each episode multiple times, just analyzing it. And, you know, it's entertainment. Like, this, The Mandalorian is undoubtedly entertaining, and that's what it's supposed to do. And I hope people, once when watching it, aren't sort of bored about it that i i mean i was bored by episode nine i mean i thought that was garbage so seeing this it's rejuvenating star wars putting it in the right direction i have faith again and i'm excited i also have faith again pete um it it, it really was a great season of television and i'm sure we'll probably win some emmys um i know the first season won i think it was three emmys maybe two um this one could win even more. It's one of the best shows on TV, aside from all of the Star Wars stuff, just because of the how ambitious it is in terms of the action and the special effects. This season had a budget of over a hundred million dollars, and it shows. Um, and and what it did, what season one does, which is also part of season two, are there are some pretty good spin-off episodes that aren't really related to the plot, but have a maybe a cool battle scene or a cool quest that later becomes part of the plot. And I think that um, that this season did that really well. There were two or three episodes in which, from the beginning, I couldn't really tell how it was related, but maybe it introduced a character that was big later on. And this one kind of connects all those episodes really well to culminate in this big final episode that sets up so much for the future of Star Wars. Yep. Uh... I mean, that's all I had to say about season two. I loved it. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Pete. I think I think you just have to watch it. Um, and if you watch it, definitely let us know what you think. But we loved it. And hopefully you can tell. So I think that's going to end the episode. Yes, this was definitely a short episode. But we covered the very important material that is season two of The Mandalorian. Um and we're excited to uh, start getting back the Splash of Cinema regularly now that we're done with our college work, right, Pete? <laughs> yeah, yep. Sorry about uh, that brief hiatus. We are college students, and we have finals, and we have obligations aside this podcast. So that'll wrap up the episode. Uh, see you next week. Signing off, I'm Pete. I'm John. And thank you for listening to this week of Splash of Cinema. See you next week.